You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from our guest speaker. All right, so the kids are heading off to Kids Church. And for those of you that are new or, or don't know, this is Nathan Phillips. and uh, Hi. Young little Nathan, before he had a beard, looked a little different. But I remember uh, when you were in high school, uh, you were trying to figure out where to go to school and encouraging to go to Crown and uh, not do community college, but mm-hmm. do the full, the full Crown experience. And so you've done that, and now you're a pastor at uh, the River in Chaska. And he wants to uh, share a message with us that is actually required for his MDiv degree. Yeah, yeah. So it may be very, very uh, academic but I don't know. I'm yeah, sure it'll be good. I tried not to make it too academic, so, so hopefully it'll... Anyway, so here's Nathan. Oh, and also, I just wanted to point out again that this is a kid from the youth group who married another girl over there, Taylor, yeah. from the youth group. So that's it's Taylor right there. You can wave your hand. And his, and his family. And then I have uh, two kids, uh, Daniel, who's the little boy back there who I think is eating a purse, and then Evelyn is probably the one who's hitting somebody else in the nursery, so... Um, <laughs> If that, if that happens, you know who to come to and, and reprimand, I guess, afterwards. But, uh, and if you're awake this morning, you may have noticed that the snowstorm that really didn't come that much is actually named after my wife, because um, it was called the Snowstorm Taylor, so you can take from that what you will, I guess. But, um, uh, first off, I really just want to thank you all for letting me come here today, uh, and also just Braving the storm, it really didn't turn out to be that bad, but I know a lot of us, we make the decision the night before, uh, based off the news and everything, and actually, I was at the next conference, and I ended up leaving early, because I was getting these reports that it was going to hit really hard, and then, you know, I was sitting at my house, and it was like 3 o'clock, and I look out, and it's completely fine, and, um, but, you know, at least it wasn't worse than that, so. Well, so, part of the preparation for this sermon was actually trying to figure out, um, how we were going to get here in the morning, and then also if the snowstorm was really bad, some backup plans. Because as Pastor Chris said, this is my, uh, for my Master's of Divinity uh, degree, and so we're actually studying the Book of Psalms, and our final project is to uh, give a sermon on the Book of Psalms, which is pretty, can be difficult, right? So um, raise your hand if you're in the Women's Psalms Bible Study. Awesome. Uh, what, what would you say are some of the most challenging parts? I don't know, I'm just putting you on the spot right away, but of looking at the Psalms and studying the Psalms. Yeah, and that's, that's definitely what I see, especially when you go to preach on it, right? Uh, the Psalms are great, and they're really good for devotionals. And one of the nice things about it is that you can read it, and then it communicates a feeling oftentimes. It communicates either like calm or, or um, finding refuge in God. Uh, but there's more to it, and so that's part of like what you guys do in your Bible study, I'm sure, and then preaching a sermon on it is you're trying to dig in and look at some of the different structures to see um, what more can we draw out of it besides that emotion. But so since I was planning on um, trying to go through a much more serious storm, uh, I go where most of us go when we need advice, uh, the internet, and this is what I found. Oh, that's not what I found. This is what I found. Um, so first, whoever is praying for snow, please stop. Um, my birthday's next weekend, so I'd really appreciate if nobody does that. Yeah, Krista told me that, that you were the one who was praying for snow last week. 
And then also I saw somebody who did this. If you rarely drive on snow, just pretend you're taking your grandma to church. There's a platter of biscuits and two gallons of sweet tea and glass jars in the back seat. She's wearing a new dress and holding a crock pot full of gravy. Uh, so if you go in the ditch a lot, which I did quite a few times in high school, actually, um, then that's some good advice for you. Well, today we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 94. And this psalm is an example of Israel actually calling out to God in the midst of facing some pretty serious oppression uh, from people who were committing injustices against them. So during this time period and throughout a lot of Israel's history, they've been surrounded by nations and people who are totally bent against them, that want to destroy them, and not only destroy them, but then, then crush them as a culture and as a people and as a country. And so uh, that's what they're going to be talking about in, in Psalm 94. And so let's just take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Dear God, thank you for this day, and thank you that you brought us all here this morning. I pray that you'd fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, so that um, the words I say and the, the, the way that we interact here this morning goes to glorify you and reveal your truth in the Scriptures. I thank you for the preparation um, that you allowed me to do, but I also just want to submit that all over to you and um, be led by your Holy Spirit and that your will will be done, your name will be glorified. I pray that you'd fill us all with your Holy Spirit so that uh, throughout our time in this message and in worship and even just the conversations that go on uh, throughout this morning, that it would all serve to create a community of people who, who love you um, and are passionate about their relationship with you and then the reality of that relationship that they have shows in the way that they, they treat those around them, Lord. We pray that in all things your name be glorified and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 94 can be put, divided up into four parts. And so I kind of put like temporary themes, titles to them, so that we can kind of know where we're at and we can reference back to it. And then we're going to come back at the very end and kind of wrap it up. So the first part would be a call for justice. Then there's a call for understanding. Then there's a call for faithfulness. And finally, the hope of a divine justice. And so the first part we're going to look at is a call for justice. And this is going to be in verses 1 through 7. Okay. O Lord, you God of vengeance, you God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Give to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the stranger. They murder the orphan, and they say, The Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. So clearly what the Israelites are dealing with is something much more than the threat of a snowstorm. Uh, But they're dealing with... Uh, people that are surrounding them that completely want them to be destroyed and not just in like a military or a political way, but destroyed in body, mind, and spirit. And you can tell this because they don't even spare the most vulnerable among them. It says they kill the widow and the stranger and they murder the orphan. And to these people, even the, the, those who would be um, the lowest in society or the least productive in society at the time, Um, They don't spare these people, but if you look at how the psalmist um, 
introduces them, he says, calls them the people of God and the heritage of God. That even the most or the, the least significant or the least productive among the society at that time, they were the heritage of God. That they're the ones that are carrying on the glory of God throughout the generations. And if you look, the, the wicked people who were standing against Israel, they go to such lengths to actually taunt God and taunt the people of God when they say that God basically doesn't even notice your suffering. In fact, he can't notice it. And they're taunting them and saying, we're destroying you and your God doesn't even care. It's in verse 7. And if we let that sink in for a little bit, the idea of um, having this nation and tribe that's completely opposed to us and actively inflicting wickedness on us. I know all of us have experienced suffering because everybody suffers, right? Um, and some people have experienced very like, different degrees of suffering. But it's hard to imagine a suffering worse than somebody else who continually goes out of their way to not only cause you physical pain or physical difficulty, but to try to destroy your spirit. And that's what they're going through right now. And this shows that they're not just facing some small opponent or disagreement, but they're facing people who are malicious, who are evil, and who want to completely crush them body, mind, and soul. And when we understand the depth of this suffering, it's better, it makes it easier to understand the weight of the call that they're giving out to God. They are calling out to God saying, how long will this go on? God, show yourself. Make yourself known. We believe and you've said that you're the God who, who avenges the righteous. You're the God who brings salvation and justice. We'll prove it. These people are, are literally challenging you and saying that it's not true. Show yourself and, and make yourself known. And we can tell by the following words in this chapter that the actions and the words of the wicked are actually trying to see, or starting to seep into the minds of the Israelites. That they're starting to believe these lies. And this will be in the next section, um, verses 8 through 11. It says, Understand, O dullest of the people. Fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, he who teaches knowledge to humankind, does he not chastise? The Lord knows our thoughts, that they are but an empty breath. And in this point, we actually see a change of who the psalmist is talking to, right? In the previous section, he's talking to God, and he's, saying, and he's calling out to God for this call for justice. But here he turns to the Israelites, and he's talking to the Israelites, and he's calling them to an understanding. And in the same way that he used that harsh language to kind of describe the, um, the wicked people that were surrounding them, he is using some pretty harsh language here to actually describe the Israelites themselves who are starting to believe these lies. He calls them the dullest of people. He calls them fools. Because they've started to believe the words of their oppressors and they've started to lose hope. Now, I would not recommend that in our daily life if somebody comes to us and they're just totally broken down that we call them idiots or anything. Uh, but I think the psalmist intentionally does this to show the absurdity of the lies that they're believing. Because if God is the creator of all things, if he is the one who not only created the world, but created in humans the, the organs and the ability to perceive the world around them, 
it would make sense that, that God, the author of perception, is able to perceive what's going on, that he knows the suffering that they're enduring. And so the lie that God doesn't see or he doesn't care or he's incapable of seeing goes against the rationale of the universe. Not only does he know our suffering and what we're going through, but he can actually understand it. Because he is the source of all understanding, like it says that um, he who disciplines the nations, he who teaches knowledge to humankind. And we're in the, when we're in the midst of suffering, um, oftentimes I think it's difficult to actually see where it, like where it may come out or maybe what's the purpose for it. And sometimes I think we go through our lives and we'll never see what the purpose of the suffering that we're going through is. Obviously, there's examples that are much easier, right? If you have a small child and they have to get a stitch sewn up or something like that, you can see right away what the, be- what the result of that suffering is. But when we face really difficult things, or like things that the Israelites were facing in this psalm where it's generation after generation of this oppression, and they see, I've gone through this, my dad's gone through this, my grandpa's gone through this, when will it end? What's the, what's the purpose in this suffering? And we may never know, be able to know that in every situation. But we can rest comfortable in the fact that the God who created the universe and, and created understanding that he knows what's going on, that he has a plan, that he stands outside of time and space, and he can see where all of this is leading. And the psalmist really tries to hammer this into the Israelites because the thing is, they're not going to make it through this suffering if they lose hope, right? And if they really believe that they're all alone, if they believe the lies of the nations that surround them, and they believe that God doesn't listen or he can't listen or he doesn't care, they're going to lose hope. And they could, in the past, maybe have relied on hoping with each other, saying maybe if we all band together and the, you know, the power of brothers or something, maybe we'll be able to withstand them. But after generations and generations of meeting the same fate, they've come to the point where they really only have two options. One is just to give up to despair because they know that they can't stand against their enemies. Or two is to put their trust in God. So after the psalmist um, talks to God and gives a call for justice, and then he turns to the Israelites, and he's calling them to understanding, he then turns his attention back to God. And in verses 12 through 19, he says, Happy are those whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, giving them respite from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot is slipping, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. So the psalmist has laid out their troubles. And he very adamantly has warned the Israelites. Uh, he's warned the Israelites not to lose hope. Because even in the midst of their suffering, their comfort should be found in God. And one of the issues, I think, with this passage and other passages like it, 
where it talks about God being our refuge or our strength, or we see psalms or promises throughout the Bible of his deliverance, is I think sometimes we misinterpret them. And let me give you an example. A few, a few weeks ago, one of the ladies that I work with at my other job outside of the church, she was actually going through a really difficult time. She was maybe going to lose her house and all this stuff, and she has kids and got divorced. This was a really difficult time for her, right? And she was like, Nathan, you know, you're a pastor. Can you tell me some Bible promises? And I started pointing her some passages and stuff. And, and she was like, you know what? That's why it's hard to believe. That's why it's hard to have faith because God says he's going to be our refuge, that he's going to be our strength, and yet things still come. Suffering still happens, right? We still go through difficult times. And that struck me. I mean, I'd thought of that before, but her saying it in the midst of her sorrow had a little bit more impact. And so then I went back and I looked at some of those passages and I saw that those, the promises of God's care and God's love and God's protection, where it says in this passage right here that the Lord will, uh, that our hearts will be cheered by his consolations and that he will get, fill us with their steadfast love, they're not given in times when everything's going okay. These promises are given during times of difficulty. So that when we take these promises, we don't understand them as guarantee that suffering is never going to happen because we know that's not true. But instead of, guarantee, but instead of guaranteeing us that suffering is not going to happen, what it's guaranteeing us is that when suffering comes, that God will be with us, that we will not be alone, and that ultimately suffering is not going to win out because there's a greater purpose for this and we can rest in the comfort of God's love and the confidence of his faithfulness. This section starts out with an encouragement to cling to God's word and to grow in in their relationship with him even in the midst of suffering. If you look back to the passage, it says, Happy are those whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, giving them respite from the days of trouble until a pit pit is dug for the wicked. And if you look at verse 13 there, even when it talks about that respite or that peace or that rest during days of trouble. If you look, it's not when the trouble ends. It's while they're waiting for the pit to be dug for the wicked. It's while they're enduring that suffering that they can grow um, in God's discipline and in obedience to him and in relationship with him. And this has lasting effects not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. Where it says, For the Lord will not forsake his people, He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Here the psalmist is zooming away from like their own like individual position at that time. And he talks again about the heritage of God, about justice eventually returning to the righteous, and that people, the upright in the future, following it. He's saying that the way that they react right here and right now to suffering is going to help to define the condition that they and the people around them find themselves in after they've made it to the other side. Let me give you an example of um, where I I had the opportunity to see this come into effect. Right before, so before I came on staff at the River Church in Chaska, I was interning there for like six months. And within the first couple weeks, the senior pastor there, Rob, he asked me to go and... um, go with him to meet this guy named John, 
who was actually dying of cancer, and he was a, an elderly guy, and a lot of his family lived other places and stuff, but it was just him and his wife. And I had never been in that situation where you're going, and the purpose that we were going was to actually plan his funeral. And uh, that was the first time that I'd ever talked to somebody about their funeral plans or anything like that. And so we went in, and you could tell that he was sick. There was a medical bed like in the, in the living room and everything. Um, but he had gotten up, he'd gotten dressed and everything, and we were sitting there and we were talking about it. And at one point, uh, the senior pastor asked him, well, do you have a favorite Bible verse or a favorite song or something that you'd like us to share? And he reaches over right next to him and he grabs this, this old Bible that literally has the cover fallen off, and he sh- flips open to the page that he had read that day. Right Now, this guy had literally weeks to live. And he said, every day for years and years and years, I've read this Bible, and he had notes from 10 years ago. They had in there from sermons that he'd heard tens of years ago. And he continually, even up to the point of him passing away, he faithfully studied the scriptures, that, and he was filled with this joy in knowing and loving God and still growing in him, even though he was advanced in age, even though he really didn't have a whole lot of time left here on this earth. And the amazing thing is that you could see that have an effect on his family afterwards, right? At his funeral, we had the opportunity for people to just come up and talk. And I'd have to say almost every single person who came up, they mentioned that. They mentioned that even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of suffering and pain, he had joy in God and he clung to that comfort. And even though he ended up passing away um, and he maybe didn't get to see the results of all that, it affected the people around him. And it, had, and it will have lasting results for generations to come. And if we find ourselves in a situation where, um, where we're filled with suffering or difficulty or somebody is oppressing us or different things like that, we need to rest in, in God's love and his commandments so that when we go through that, when we get out of that rough spell, or even if we never do, that people will see that we came out stronger and closer to God rather than weaker and more distant. And that the way that we deal with difficult situations will be an example to the people around us and that they will be inspired by that and that they will have hope when they go through suffering. And if we, and sometimes it may seem impossible to cling to God and find hope in Him. And we might find ourselves saying, just like the Psalms, who defends me against the wicked? Who is by my side fighting for me against the evildoers? But the Bible's answer is, when I thought that my foot was slipping, your consolation, uh, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolation cheer my soul. Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. God eventually, whether in our immediate situation or in the next, God will bring an end to suffering. But we don't have to wait for that suffering to end to find strength and comfort in Him. If we are faithful to God in our suffering, and then in the midst of that suffering we abide in His steadfast love, we will realize that He's not abandoned us, He's not alone, that the lies that the people say, that He doesn't hear us or that He doesn't care, are untrue.
And sometimes we don't understand the reason that we go through suffering. And I just want to share with you a quote from Augustine. And he wrote a commentary on the book of Psalms, and this is what he said, and I'll read it first and then explain it because he uses kind of old language. But um, For who that is always prosperous and rejoiceth, rejoiceth in present hopes findeth easy to remember God. Let the hope of this life give way and the hope of God advance that thou may say, and the Lord is become my refuge. May I sorrow for this end that the Lord may become my refuge and my God the help of my hope. What Augustine is saying is, who has, lived a per- who has lived a perfectly prosperous life, a perfectly happy and peaceful life? And if anybody has, how many of them would say, my hope is in God? How many of them say, would say that I find my refuge in God? And so when we're going through difficult times or times of suffering, like the Israelites were going through through generations, if nothing else, we can cling to the fact that that our suffering will produce a deeper relationship with God, just like it caused the Israelites to cling to him when they had nothing else to cling to. And we can see this throughout their history. And then Psalm 90 ends, verses 20 through 23, with the promise that God eventually will bring divine justice to the world. Oh, I was on the wrong verse. There we go. Um, it says, can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who contrive mis- mischief be statute? They band together and against, together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will pay them for their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. When you see verses like verse 23 where it says that the Lord my God will wipe them out or wipe them out for their wickedness, depending on our situation, we may have different responses to that. Um, It's difficult sometimes to think of the loving God that we believe in, the righteous God, the just God, wiping out people for the wicked that they've committed. But there's also a divine justice in that for him actually repaying um, or avenging the injustice that was done to his people. If we look throughout history, we can see examples of really horrible people, or even maybe in our own lives, we can see examples of people who did really horrible, wicked things, and it seems like they got away with it. Right? If you look at Hitler, for example, he did a lot of evil things, really, really horrible things. And finally, when he, when he left this world, he escaped judgment. He escaped the justice that, he, that um, should have been delivered to him by taking the easy way out. And when we look throughout history and we see these examples, it's difficult, or it can be easy sometimes, to look back and say that there is not justice in the world, that justice won't be served. But what God is promising us is that He is righteous. He is just. And in the end, he will bring everything right in the world, that he will deliver divine justice to everything. So that those who have been beaten down and are downtrodden, that they'll be lifted up. And that those who have become proud 
and oppressed or use their abilities to inflict wickedness and pain on other people, that they'll be brought to justice. And this psalm is specifically talking about a situation that Israel was in. But But if we look a little bit closer, it actually has application to our whole life and all of creation, in fact. So when Adam and Eve committed the first sin, that had an impact on all of creation. Like a virus, sin and suffering infected the world. And one result of that is that there's people who give themselves completely over to wickedness and evil and try to cause pain and suffering to people around them. And like we said, one of the worst things is to see that maybe justice isn't served in this life. But the story of the Bible is that God has taken this fallen creation and he's going to restore it and make it new that he will wipe the tear from every eye, that he will right every injustice. And when Jesus Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, he defeated sin and death. And it's because of that sacrifice that we can, right here in this, this life, experience a relationship with God and that that relationship can carry on into eternity. And also we can look forward to the hope that God's divine justice will be realized. So we, we covered a lot of things, a lot of verses, um, and I apologize for the progression of the slides there. Hopefully you were able to follow along in your Bible or just kind of figure out what I was saying. Um, but so we covered a lot of stuff, but I want us to leave with four things, or even if you just take one of these four things. And this kind of correlates to the four sections of this psalm. One, we need to pray for God's divine justice to be realized in our lives and our world. It's easy if we see evil people getting away with stuff or we see suffering in our own lives to just ignore it, right? Or um, to not take action because there's not a whole lot of action sometimes that we can take. But one thing that we can do and that we should do is we need to bow before God and we need to pray for him that his will would be done and his name would be glorified in this world that his divine justice would be realized. We also need to remind ourselves that we are not alone in suffering. That God does hear us. That he is alive and he is active. And that even in the midst of that suffering, even though we can't understand it, that he's working that out for a greater purpose. And we also need to stay faithful to God, abiding in his love and word, And if we do that, if we cling to him and we abide in him, then we will come through suffering stronger. And then, finally, we need to be comforted and know that we can rest in the hope of God's divine justice. I want to thank you all for letting me come here and share this message with you today. Uh, If you would like to meet Taylor or me or my uh, kids after the service, we'll probably be walking around for a little bit. And so... Um, Just thank you so much, and let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to dig into your word. I pray that you would take the truth from your holy scriptures and and you would embed that in our hearts and minds. That you would give us something to carry on in our relationship with you that would actually make an impact in the way that we love you and the way that we love others. 
Thank you that you are the God of righteousness and justice. Thank you that you will right every wrong, that you will wipe every tear, and that we can rest confident in the hope of your divine justice, Lord. I pray for anybody who is going through suffering now, that you would just fill us with your peace and that we would rest in your steadfast love. That you would come for us in the midst of suffering and that you would fill us with the hope of your redemption, Lord. Pray that in all things you may be glorified and you will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand as we sing our way out this morning. I like the quote from Augustus. Uh, Becky and I were in a church where a pastor talked about how Satan tries to get at, back at God. and One way he does that is to bless people so that they no longer trust a God, they're trusting in themselves. So if he can use suffering to break us down so that we fall away from God, or if he can use blessing to cause us to fall away from God, he'll use the tool that works best. And so uh, as we sing this last song, that the doxology, um, praising God for all the blessings that he's brought us. One of the things I'd share with you is uh, when my sister was dying of cancer, she thanked God for the cancer because it brought her closer to him. Um, And that's a faith that we can have in the midst of suffering, is a faith that says, I know that you're bigger than this, and if my relationship grows with you, that's all that really matters. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.